Hallelujah. So all that's coming up. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 1 this evening as we dive into this. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for opening up and, and uh, leading that. And the worship team, you guys, did a great job. Thank you so much. I'm always blessed uh, by all the special gifts and talents and people we have in our church. Amen? Hallelujah. But tonight I want to talk to you just about for the sake of the call. How many know God has a call upon your life? Hey, Ben. In fact, there was, uh, there was just a lot of stuff going on, and everybody's going, man, California's getting crazy. I'm going to get out. And this one person, was, I posted something. They said, well, get out while you can. And I said, well, I, I would, except I have a mandate on my life to be here. Amen. I, I just not as as Christian, I'm not just free to go where I want to go, to live where I want to live, to be in the environment. I need to ask God, where do you want me to be? I got in trouble with that in 1988, and I said, man, I, I'm leaving Bieber. I'm out of here. These people, bless God, I'm going to go where people will appreciate me. Nobody's ever been in that situation. <laughs> So I said, I'm going to go where I'll be appreciated. And so I had made all these plans. I was out of here. I told the guy who was our associate pastor that time. He says, well, I'm going to go out. I need to go out and, and, uh, and uh, go back into full-time ministry and, or be a pastor again. He wanted to be a lead pastor again. He, had been a, he was a spirit-filled Lutheran brother who ran our school and stuff. And I said, well, just hang on, Bubba. You can have this whole thing. I'm out of here. And so uh, then the Lord checked me in my attitude and uh, I was praying in the sanctuary one morning, and the Lord said, you ought to open your Bible up to James chapter 4. So I began to read in James chapter 4, and it said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, I'll go to this town or that town and buy and sell and make gain. And uh, so God dealt with me and my attitude, and he kept me there for another year until I got my attitude right. And uh, so uh, anyway, it's just important to deal with that. But there's so much going on and dealing with things. But we have a call upon our lives, each and every one of us. God has a call. He has purpose for each and every one of our lives. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Now, I do not want you to be ignorant or unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you, just as among other Gentile. Verse 14, I am a debtor. Somebody say a debtor. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed. Somebody say, I'm not ashamed. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For it is a right, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Father, I thank you in these next few moments. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. Come into this place this evening. Bring your presence to bear upon our lives. Cause our eyes to see with clarity. Cause our ears to hear with clarity. And cause our hearts to receive your word sown deep that it may produce the harvest that it contains. Transforming and changing us into the image of the Son of God in Jesus' name. And somebody said... Amen. Look at the cover of your outline, if you would, and we're going to turn over to Philippians. You can keep your finger there in Romans, and we're going to turn to Philippians 3 in just a moment, so you can fold a page over. I would do that where I fold my pages over in that, so I can get back there. But uh, we're going to come back to Romans in just a minute, we're going to read a passage in Philippians chapter 3 as well. I believe there's a lot we can learn from the life of the Apostle Paul. How many would agree? A lot we can learn from him and his commitment to the cause of Christ. He went from being the prince of persecutors to being a slave of Christ. If you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he went from being the prince. I mean, he was the head man when it came to persecuting the church. He was the head man of persecution to going to become and being a slave for Christ. He left the halls of modern intellectualism and went to the school of Christ in the wilderness. He spent three years on the backside of the desert just seeking God and being taught by the Holy Spirit. He left status and position to become despised and rejected by those 
whom he had once walked among as their peers and even more than their equal. The people that Paul that looked up to Paul for approval and, and for uh, uh, acceptance in their actions and persecution are now the ones that are persecuting him. Amen. So he had that whole 180 turnaround. The world and the life he once knew, he chose to forsake and to count as dung for the cause of Christ. Philippians chapter 3, if you turn there with me, and it reads like this. Excuse me, just one moment, set that just over there. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For to me to write the same thing to you, it is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Everybody look up here just for a moment. It's good to hear the same thing over and over. It's good to be reminded. good to hold on to things and not forsake them. But for you to say, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Aren't you glad Paul was so politically correct? Just seeker sensitive and just very concerned about everybody. Praise the Lord. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So Paul said, man, if anybody want to brag on their credentials, I would be able to out-brag everybody. Amen? Look at what he says, verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Or in other words, Paul said, everything I did in persecuting the church according to the law was exactly in line with it. I wasn't violating anything, but he meant, man, I was by the letter of the law. I was righteous in the law in the persecution because I perceived this to be a heresy. But I like what he says, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or as dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Hallelujah. Amen. Verse 10. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. So think about it. Paul said, this is what I've done. I've counted everything as rubbish. I've thrown away my pedigree. I've thrown away my credentials. I've thrown away my status. I've thrown away everything for the sake of the call of God upon my life. So here's the question today. Is that really too much to ask or to give? That's what Paul said. Paul said, I've forsaken everything for Christ. So here we are, 2017. Is that too much to ask? To forsake everything. Well, we live in a culture that wants a one-hour service. I want to come in. I want to go out. I want to get this. I want to get that. I want a tidbit. I want to be told I'm okay with God so I can go on about my life and live my life any way I give. I don't want to be asked to give my finances, my resources, or my time. I don't want to help serving in here. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching real good. Let alone to give up everything for the sake of the call. Think about it. For the reward, the reward... For what you forsake here is greater than you can imagine on the other side. We're so focused on what we give up here with not, not ever thinking about what we've been promised to gain in all eternity with God. Amen? All right. Look inside your outline. Let me just tell you this. There are disadvantages to serving Christ here. It's a disadvantage. The great disadvantage. I, I'll never forget when we had brotherhood. In fact, we went to uh, this last Saturday. We went to the 40-year reunion of our Bible school. So in 1977, Pastor Hood started Marysville School of the Bible. And he said, I just believe we could have a Bible school. And he says, I'm believing that a that, that hundred young men 
could hear and answer the call of God and we could train them up and send them around the world to preach the gospel. And so that was launched in 1977 and uh, Pastor Sue actually was in the first class of that first year of that class and that and uh, so we're there and there's, there were some of us that were there. The first graduating class was in 1979. So they actually became an extension of Bethany Bible College out of San Jose. So there was a satellite campus for them for pastoral theology. So we're there with our pastors and uh, our pastor friends and alumni and stuff. It just was a, a great time and uh, for all of this, and, and uh, Brotherhood, in his Bible school class, he came in in pastoral theology, and he just said this, he said, if you want to be called of God, then you're going to have to know the ministry is at a disadvantage. To be in the ministry means to live at a disadvantage. You don't get to do everything the world does. You don't get to live that way. And even as Christians, if I want to be a Christian, it's called to live my life as a disadvantage according to everything that the world has to offer. But yet today, we're trying to figure out, how can I have everything the world has to offer and still be saved? Amen? Yeah, That's my opinion. I like what Brother Hood says. I'm teaching. When you teach, you can share your opinion. <laughs> Amen. But that's where we live today. People want everything. I want to partake this. I want to be a part of that and do that. But don't tell me what I have to give up for God. Tell me everything that God's going to do for me. Amen. To live for Him. But, so there's disadvantages to serving Christ. You may not die the most glamorous death. Nero had Paul beheaded, but the day of your death does not tell the whole story. It's what you leave behind. Because seeds of faith become trees of righteousness. What did Paul leave behind? He left churches planted behind everywhere he went. And he preached the gospel in all the churches. He says, man, there's all the stuff that I have and the responsibility you have. Besides that, the care of all the churches. He's writing letters to churches. His epistles are letters to churches. And you get to the end of every epistle. And he's saluting all the people that, that, that have home churches and house churches. And people that are in ministry and the work that they're doing for the glory of God. And those are the seeds that he planted, that he left behind. So your death doesn't tell the whole story. Amen. So think about it. So what makes greatness? I believe it's tied to the decisions that we make. And I believe God ordained that everybody would be great. Why? Because God's not a respecter of person. God has ordained great. There's kingdom greatness attached to every one of our lives. That every one of us would have a significant, be able to make a significant impact in the kingdom of God for the glory of God with our lives. Amen. Not with try, trying to find a limelight. That doesn't mean that you get a limelight of fame and all the stuff we do. So you have lights for cameras. This isn't about that. None of this is going to make a whole lot of difference. It, it's who you touch. Did, did you reach anybody? Was there, are there souls connected to your life? God made a way that every one of us could leave seeds of greatness planted behind in our life through the souls that we reach for the kingdom of God. So I want to go back to Romans chapter 1 if you would. And we're going to start at verse 16 and work backwards. And we're going to start with the statement that the Apostle Paul makes in verse 16. For he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I get so mad at political correctness today. Because people have become ashamed to talk about Jesus. Well, I don't want, and we hear people, I don't want to offend everybody. And then get people say, well, you know, I'm just a silent witness. There's no such thing as a silent witness. Well, people just see my life. That's the problem. People are seeing your life. And so you can't, you know, I just let people see and by seeing they know. No, you, you, the Bible says to, to, how lovely are the feet of those who bring good news, who preach the gospel. And so we have to tell the story. Are you listening to me? And G Jesus said, G G G just take the man at the tombs of Gadara. Here he gets all these devils cast out of him. He, he's dressed and sitting in his right mind. And Jesus didn't say, hey, just go home and live your life and be a silent witness. And people will see your life and, and they'll know how great I am by just seeing your life. You don't have to say anything. 
Just go back home and live out this great transformation. Just live it out in front of them. And they'll all come to know me just by watching you. No, he said, go home and tell everybody what great things God has done for you. So, but in order to do that, I can't be ashamed of the gospel. So let me ask you this. What could you be ashamed of in the gospel? Sometimes people are ashamed of their church. Amen. We were growing up, well, in, in our home church, we were very Pentecostal. Our church, we get a little crazy every now and then. And so sometimes people want to invite their friends to church, but they're saying, Lord, let, make it be a normal service. Don't do anything crazy. Don't let, don't let everybody fall down at the altar. Don't let anybody give a message in tongue. Don't let anybody prophesy. Lord, just let it be a normal service. Well, why are you concerned about a normal service if you're not ashamed of the God? What are you ashamed of? Are you ashamed of the power of God? I found most of the time when you invite your friend, you're concerned about things. God shows up and messes everything up. Amen. So, God, so think about it. Our, our church, our conduct, our doctrine. I'm telling people today are ashamed of the Holy Ghost. Praying, like I said, let's pray in tongues. Let's pray out loud. Oh, well, I don't want to be too loud. Okay, this moving right along. I'm just asking some questions. What about our leaders? Church leaders. Not just our, our church leaders, but leaders of, our, of ministry and, and, and the church at large. See, we would be better off going to see our favorite actor. Well, let me just back up. You should never go to church just to hear a preacher. Better off going to watch a movie of your favorite actor. If you're going to go to church, go for Jesus, not for a preacher. Are you with me? The reason to go to church is for Jesus. We go to worship the Lord to hear something, not just for a man. But we could be ashamed of a lot of things, but never the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. It does not have it. It is. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is. It just doesn't have the power. It is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. Never be ashamed of the gospel. See, we could be ashamed of governments and institutions that control people's lives. I'm fairly ashamed of our California government right now. I bet. Our, our, our governor did a good thing in signing the bill about one area, but then on the other side, we, we, we now have declared a new gender. And, 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 and this fuzzes me up because I have grandbabies that are still preschool, not ready for school yet, that are one and a half, two and a half, and three. Amen. And, and, and they're going to be coming into the school system. And now we've just declared that we have a third gender in California. And so once they declare that, that means that's going to be in the educational system. And, and our kids, they're going to be bombarded with this insanity. But somewhere there has to be a people who are bold enough, who are not ashamed of the gospel. And Paul, because he wasn't ashamed to preach, got him, it got him in a place in his life where he was beheaded for his faith. We just want to know how God's going to make my life more comfortable. Amen. Not too many of us pray, Lord, if you have to, cut my head off. If you need to, my head's available. I mean, you know what I'm saying? We think, you know, Khadijah and Bita here, our Persian friend, they have family in Iran. A young man told his story and gave his testimony at their house a couple of weeks ago at the men's meeting. And he's talking about how God began to deal with him. And just by coming to Christ and the Lord coming to God, his life was at risk just for believing in God by living where he lived. There are people right now all around the world, their life is in jeopardy to believe. And in America, we just want to know, God, could you bless me a little more? Instead of saying, Lord, put my head on the chopping block if you have to, that somebody might hear the gospel. Amen? Well, Pastor, you're getting radical. Well, we live in an age where somebody better get radical. Amen. We, we, okay. And then our governor just said that we're now going to allow felons to vote in prison. You read that either? I mean, we got crazy stuff going on. Are you listening to me? 
So we could be ashamed of governments and institutions that control people's lives. I'm a little bit ashamed of that. How you been? I'm tired of being called the left coast. Amen. Well, you guys, and somebody said, man, I said, you know, we've lost our mind. This one person, I put this post out there, and this one guy goes, oh, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah. I said, we don't have the market on, on we don't have the corner of the market on stupid. We just lead the way. Amen. There's a lot of stupid stuff happening no matter where you go. Are you listening to me? The world is lost. There is no righteous government in this world. You're not going to find righteousness in government or in, 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 in man's institutions. The, the world is law. It, it might look a little less lost in one place than another place, but in the darkest place is where we need the greatest light. Yeah. All right, praise the Lord. Moving right along. So, But think about it. We could be ashamed of false religion promises with no power to perform. Think about Buddhism and all those things like that. We could be ashamed of our nation. We want nothing to do with God and our government, our schools, our workplace, or any part of our society. We can have a day of silence for intolerance to gays, but not a day of prayer to our God. Something's wrong. I, I could be ashamed of that. Paul declared, though, that he had gotten a hold of something that he was not ashamed of, and he spent the rest of his life proclaiming it. Paul said, come on, we can look around our life. There's a lot of things I could be ashamed of, but I will never be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And God needs men and women just like you and I who will live unashamed for the glory of God. Could you say amen? Think about it this evening. So if we were to take an account tonight of the last time we won a soul to Christ, we might all be ashamed. I'll move on to the next point real quick. Why? Why, why has it been so? Because we're ashamed. We're, we're afraid to share with others. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of what people say. We're afraid of the response. For all the wrong reasons. But we have the power of God unto salvation. If we would just share, I shared with you a couple of weeks when we were preparing the lot to, to, to uh, 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 seal coat it up there. And the young man sitting there and I just began to talk. He'd come over to help me with what I was doing there and stuff. And I just began to share my testimony with and the power of God. So if you just begin to talk to somebody. Now, how could I say this? I almost went in a different direction tonight. But, but in this area, we think about the law of God. And we think the law is something you have to tell people, proclaim to people, or enforce to people. But when God revealed His laws to people, everything about who God is. You're, you're there in Romans. Look over at chapter 2 and look with me at, uh, uh, let me find it. I believe around four, yeah, verse 14. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. When the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things contained in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, for their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. What does that mean? When God's law, God put everything, all of the law of God is written into the design of the universe. And when God revealed His law in, in written form and declared the Ten Commandments a moral law, the moral law is written into the DNA of, of the creation. Every one of it. What, what it means to be, we know it's wrong to steal. We know it's wrong to covet other people's. We know it's wrong to murder. We, and, and we know that, that, that no matter where you go in civilizations, you find that they live, there, there's a moral code. They've never had a written language and nobody's ever been there. There's been no education. But there, there's a standard of morality. The Native Americans, when you came, they believed in walking tonky. They believed in the sun and, and the one God and all these things. But, and, and, they, and they had a form of worship and, and they had standards and morality. But why? Because it was in, it's ingrained in their DNA. Are you with me? 
And so for you and I, when it comes to witnessing to people, we're, we're so bent and focusing on the outward sin instead of just sharing the power of God unto salvation. Hey, God wants to be on your side. I began talking to this young man. I invited him to church. And what he said, well, you know, I, I'm working on myself. I said, well, you can work all by yourself, but God is waiting for you to invite him in to help you. And that's what people do all the time. Just tell people, hey, God, if you'll just ask him, he'll help. You don't have to do this by yourself. I said, just like you're coming over here, you're helping me right now. I don't even know you, and you're helping me. You, you've offered to come over here and help me in, in, in preparing the lot here and getting ready for these people to come seal code. God wants to do the same thing for you. Are you with me? All right, praise the Lord. So think about it. So... We talk about everything, everyone, and everything except the gospel. We're so willing to talk with people about anything except the gospel. We'll talk, well, what do you think about football players not kneeling? Or kneeling, not standing? Praise the Lord. Well, I just know this. One day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, well, I mean, you could find some way to get the gospel into anything. If you want to. Amen. So think about it. As Christians, we get caught up too much in the man of the moment, the newest face on charisma, or the hottest preacher on TBN. But we don't know much about a man like the Apostle Paul. Paul wasn't the man of the moment. Paul was a man of the millennia. Amen. I've had the privilege. There's three men that I count great men like that that I've had in my life. Three men I've had in my life. One was my pastor, the other was James Stewart, who many of you know if you've been here very long. Brother James Stewart, missionary. And the other was Brother Jess Higginbotham, a mentor in my life in Bible school. These three just great men who lived their life like this, just spent and sold out for the glory of God. And God put them in my life as influencers in my life. In fact, if you go back way back enough, far enough, we had Brother Jess actually preach here. And, uh, but you have to be here, you have to be a really old timer to remember that. And, uh, but uh, amazing, amazing men. Brother Stewart, I remember when we, we went over to see him, I didn't think they were coming back. So in 2004, when we went to South Africa to see him, um, it was there. And while we're there, he goes, he goes, I don't understand why you're so good to me. Because it wasn't the type of relationship in that. It's just that God put him in my heart to honor him and to support them. And so we did that from the time we started our church in 1989 until they, both of them passed away. I made a commitment, as long as you are alive, we will support you. Amen. And that was a mandate that God put on my life to honor them and support them. And so after they retired, they would actually send us. We'd send them uh, offerings. We'd send them help and stuff. And, and he, they would actually write back, thank you. Because of you, we don't just exist. We actually get to live. And so God used our church really to be a blessing to them and to love on them. But as a man of God, and, and so when we're leaving South Africa, he goes, why are you so good to I said, because I want to live my life like you. I, I want to know God and to live for God like you. You've given your whole life. When, when he was here in 2002, he said, I've come home. I've kissed my children. I've kissed my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. And I'm going back to die in Africa where I've lived my life for God. I said, God, sign me up. That, that's, that's I, I want, I want that heart. In fact, this afternoon, I had to go home and shower, We're doing some stuff and working, so I had to go clean, and before service tonight, I'm driving back, and we had some CDs by our pastor, and I'm listening by the CD by Brother Hood, and I'm just thinking, God, let me have a season in my life before I'm done. Let me have a season where I truly live fully as a man of God. Not just as a pastor, I, 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 my heart, my desire is that I, God would grant me a season to truly be a man of God. 
And I don't know if that statement makes sense to you or not, but there's something in me that knows, that tells me deep down inside of who I am as Don Pritchard, me knowing me, not being your path, just me one-on-one with God. I know that there's a greater place that I can go to in my relationship with God. And I say, God, before I, I, I want a season of my life to be truly be That man of God that's sold out, that's radical in every area, in every way. Could you say amen? I mean, that's just what in me. I don't know what's pumping on the inside, but I had those men. And so we're there with Brother James. And I said, we're leaving. I said, "All, all all I want is for you to lay your hands on me and impart. I want the same spirit that's in you upon my life. That's all I want. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so there's people like, like the Apostle Paul. There's men and women of God. I, I, I just, I, I want to catch that. I, 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 wanna, I want that in, uh, uh, transferred into my life. Look at verse 15. Paul says this. He says, I'm ready to preach the gospel. I am ready to preach the gospel as much as is in me. I am ready to preach the gospel. See, in all of history, the church, she has never been ready as a whole. A few people, but not the church as a whole. I believe we've missed opportunities to evangelize nations because the church has never been ready as a whole. A few people, we get a few missionaries. Actually, after World War II, we had an amazing chance to evangelize the nation of Japan. Opportunities at different times in transition and governmental transition opens doors for evangelism. But the church wasn't ready. We didn't have enough missionaries ready to go in. So Paul says, I'm ready to preach the gospel. So something in us has to be getting ready to preach the gospel. And the church in America has become Americanized. And so what happened, because we're Americanized, then, then we're just caught up in, 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 an, in an Americanized gospel. But Paul says, wait a minute, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Think about it. The devil never wants you ready. They will do anything to keep you from being ready. Let me declare this to you tonight. If God were to ask us to do something, most of us will respond with, I'll get ready. Well, let me submit this to you. He would not have asked us to do it if he didn't think we were ready. (laughs) I feel like the Lord's asking me to do something. Man, I need to get ready. If he's asking you right now, he thinks you are ready. And the greatest thing about that, whatever he asks you to do it, he doesn't ask you to do it or to provide for it. He asks you to agree with what he is wanting to do through you. He's the provider. He does everything by the power of his grace. Paul said, hey, this grace, when he talked about his ministry to the Gentiles, he says, this grace has been given to me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul's been given the grace to preach to the Jews. I've been graced by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. How many know you are saved by grace? Through faith. And so the grace of God upon your life saves you. You couldn't do anything to it. You don't add anything to your salvation when it comes to being used by God. I don't have to get ready. I just have to agree. Are you doing all right? And so through that, then he graces us to do the work. So the devil never wants you ready. People will say, hey, let me raise the money. Save up. Set affairs in order. This is why most of the time God has to use a man, not a group of people. But if he can ever get a group, he can birth a revival. Every revival has come when God got a group and not a big group. He said, Pastor, what are you preaching to? I'm trying to stir up a group. I'm looking for a group. I just need a few groupies. We just need a group. I say, wait a minute. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Think about it. How big of a group does it take? Jesus only had 120 as a group. The church started with just a group of 120. 
who just got out of the thousand. Listen, it says that 500 saw him resurrected. My God, 500 people saw him resurrected. 380 of them flaked out and couldn't make it to Pentecost. 500 times, he goes up. Well, that's cool. What do you want for lunch? Are you kidding me? Do you understand that? People, we're, we're so funny. We're so funny. Miracle. How many people had blind eyes over? How many people, it said the multitudes came and were healed, and he ends up with 120 in an upper room. But out of that little group, the church was birthed. Amen. Twelve students in Topeka, Kansas, the turn of the century, were given an assignment by Charles Parham. Search the scriptures and find out what the evidence is for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they began to search. And through their search, they came away with speaking in tongues. And then they began to pray in a prayer room, Lord, we want it. And so God poured out His Spirit upon that little school in Topeka, Kansas, and on that little group of students. And from there it spread from a prayer room in Topeka, Kansas in a little Bible college. And it spread to Los Angeles through Charles Parham who came and, and sat in the hallway and listened in the hallway because of segregation. A man came, a one-eyed, blind, black man with no education who had to sit in the hallway and take notes and listen through a cracked door in the hallway because segregation would allow him to be in the same classroom with white people. Come on, how many know there are some things we can be ashamed of? Amen. But there he is. And then God takes that man and sends him. And the next thing you know, we have the Azusa Street Revival. And out of that, God raises up missionary to go around the world. And the Pentecostal movement was birthed out of just a small group of people. So anytime God can get a group, he can birth a revival. And then you go back at the same time that was happening. God got a young man named Evan Roberts and a couple crazy college kids with him. And they would just go and begin to pray. And they just prayed and prayed and prayed. And they're in wells and they're just praying and praying and praying and seeking God. And most of the time, Evan would go to these churches and, and they had this young little group. And they kind of played worship and stuff and sang some songs. And then in the middle of that, Evan just prayed and the power of God would fail. And we had the Welsh revival that swept that land. And bars were shut down. The police were laid off. Crime was disseminated. Everything happened. But it came through a small group. Of people who are not ashamed of the gospel. And if there ever was a need for a revival, it's for us to let God stir something in our heart. It's my desire that God would stir in you, that you would somewhere in your life you say, wait a minute, I've been a Christian, but I'm ready to be a man or a woman of God. I'm ready to live unashamed of the gospel. Think about it. Look at the next part. Romans 1.14 Paul said this, said, I'm a debtor. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. Paul recognized his debt to all men of every station of life. This nation was not, this was not financial, but spiritual. Paul said, I, I don't have a financial debt. I, I, I looked it up. <laughs> I thought there's going to be some deep meaning to the word debtor. So I looked it up in the concordance. You know what it means? An ower. <laughs> He, was in a, he said, I'm an ower. I owe them. I owe them something. I, I, I know something, and what I know, I owe. Can I say it to you like that? I know that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and that knowing puts me in debt to those who don't know what I know. I have to tell them. I'm an ower. <laughs> We should change our, we should go from being Christians to being owers, to being debtors. Amen. So he recognizes, who knows who John Salk is? Jonas Salk is. Anybody know who he is? Huh? He, the vaccine to polio. Developed the vaccine to polio. 
moved by his son. He discovered the cure for polio and could have kept it for his family. I got it. My kid's sick. I developed it so my kid could be healed. But that isn't what he said. I forget the, uh, the uh, journalist who interviewed him. I should have written down his name as I looked it up. But this guy interviewed him, famous journalist. He said, do you have a patent on this? This is what he said. He said, this is for all the people and the children of the world. There is no patent. Could you patent the son? And Forbes magazine did a research and they blew it out according to inflation. And they said if he would have patented, it would have netted him almost two and a half billion dollars to patent it and hold on to it and to sell the cure. But he says, well, I found the cure. And so with that, I am a debtor to those who need it. For me to take it and to keep it and use it for myself. For us to take the gospel and live for a gospel that only brings benefit into my life. For me to go to church and only go to church for what I get out of church. Instead and not have a sense of debt and, 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 and owner being an ower to others. And getting the fullness of the gospel into their life. We miss it. See, we are to give according to how we have received. Every Christian is in debt to someone who has not heard the gospel. Most of America feels no debt to the world. The church in America doesn't feel that they are in debt. If we did, we would begin to pay the debt. You know what made America great? America was great because America was founded on the moral law of God. And God says, any nation that will live according to my law, any nation, any people, any group, and any individual that will live according to my moral law, according to what is already stamped inside of them and what they know in their heart and in their conscience, will live and govern and rule themselves by that as a nation or as an individual, I will bless them. And America was founded on the moral law of God. And because of that, we are a blessed nation. And because the moral law begins with, you shall have no other God before me. And you shall have no other graven image. You go to any other nation that has any other God. And you look at them. And whether it is Buddhism, whether it is Hinduism, no matter what it is, you go to those nations. And they are nations that are impoverished. But you come to America and we are blessed beyond measure because we are literally a nation that was built and founded on the moral law of God. And God has blessed it. But in that, as we were raised up, then we became a nation who would preach the gospel to the world. And we as a nation in the church of America, we sent out missionaries and we evangelized the world. But something happened over time and we're no longer raising up missionaries. People are no longer answering the call. Missionary sending is down. In fact, people from other nations are looking at America saying we need to help them. And missionaries are being sent here. From other nations. Are you with me? I know this is heavy for a Tuesday night. But praise the Lord. It's all I got. Amen. So what am I saying? I'm looking out around right now guys. I'm looking at our world. I'm looking at our state. I'm looking at our government. I'm looking at the insanity. Going on. In our nation. We've lost our ever-loving minds. And God says this. He says, when you begin to allow all these... See, see there's something about immigration was, and, and we, were, we were a Christian nation. But now we've gone to, oh, go to the, the faith of your choice. Go to this, go to that, go to this. Wherever your mosque or whatever you want to do, whatever house, whatever you want to worship. And, and, and we've invited the world and we said, bring your gods into our nation. Bring your gods into our nation. Which means that as a nation, not just as a state, but as a nation, 
We've allowed all these gods coming into. And, and so we, we, we have areas in Michigan that where, where Muslim populations and, and, and the control. And, and I love Muslim people, don't misunderstand, but they're blocking off and it's becoming, they're becoming no-go zone in areas like that. And, and, and so now our nation is being taken over by pagan gods. And God does not allow that to go on for very long. There's two things that bring judgment upon nation. If you read history, you find out that nations don't last long. And when it comes to the moral law of God, two things bring judgment upon nations. Having a God besides God, having any other God besides Him, and sexual immorality. And we are, we are a nation that has given up our faith in God and invited all the pagan gods of this world in, and we are a sexually perverse people and God says I'm sorry those are areas that bring my judgment upon people that's what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah God sent an angel down go see if it's really what it sounds like down there are you with me so there's areas that are coming so what happens there think about it America does not feel that they owe the debt. We can look at nations of the world and have no sense of urgency to act. We're too intoxicated with our desire and our prosperity. I would venture to say that in the church as a whole in America, as a whole. Let me, let me say, I, I'm super proud. I, I'm just a blessed pastor. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. And, and you have to understand as a congregation, most of you have been here long enough, I have a prophetic mantle upon my life. So many times when I'm preaching, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching prophetically. It means that this thing needs to be declared into the earth. Amen? And so with that, but I would, and so when, when we're started uh, talking to the bank about uh, buying the building and the loan and that, so he asked what size our congregation was and I told him and he said, well, so what's your annual income? About $300,000 a year. I said, no, we do over $600,000 a year. He said, you got to be kidding me. He said, the church your size does that? I said, yeah. I said, last year we gave over $100,000 to missions. He goes, oh, that's why. Now I understand. So be, when you give, God blesses. Amen. When you give, God, that's also, that's a law written into it. That's, that's a law like gravity. Give and it shall be given unto you. So when you're a giving church, then things are given unto you. And so with that, we are a blessed church. But the church as a whole in America, if you look at the body of Christ as a whole, and the percentage of giving and even tithing in the, in the church as a whole, it's, it's just dismal. And so I would venture to say that in the church as a whole in America, more is spent Monthly on TV providers, movie rentals, entertainment, communication packages, it is given to the gospel. If you looked at people's budget, they spend more on entertainment communication than they give to the gospel. I would bet that most pay more for cable, satellite, internet, and cell phone plans than they give to their local church. And they will sacrifice other things for the sake of those. Yet most want God to respond in their need and answer their prayer like they gave a million a week to the gospel. <laughs> but Paul knew he was in debt and ran every day of his life to pay that debt. That's why. Let, let, me, let me just stop right here and say this. Over the years, I forget who I was talking. I think Tim and I were talking maybe about it. And over the years, it, but... People have, have said, and even for our church, I said, Pastor, you're just too intense. Your preaching is too intense. It's just too intense. I, I know, I, I was talking to another gentleman in church. I was talking about that. People, I come in, that church is just too intense. The gospel is intense. God is intense. And besides that, the devil is intense. And we, we think we're just going to say nice little things and do nice little things and that. But no, God, something has to shake us and stir us and move us in this walk with God. Paul knew he was in debt and ran every day of his life to pay that debt. So as your pastor, I will never apologize for asking you to give your all for the cause of Christ. I'll never. I was telling that gentleman the other day, I said, yeah, I tried that. One time I said, okay, we're too intense. I'm going to change. Sunday morning, we're going to change. This was back in, I think, 1997. It was like 20 years ago. I said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to be nice on Sundays. 
I'm going to preach nice messages, make everybody comfortable and feel good. And we did that for about six months, and it didn't make any difference at all. And one Sunday morning, I'm coming to the church, and it's like the Holy Spirit yelled at me, this isn't what got you here. I said, okay, I repent. <laughs> and so it's what you're called to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? And sometimes declaring and doing that. So I will never apologize for asking you to give your all for the cause of Christ. In fact, one person said, when we get to heaven, when you get to heaven and look around, you're going to find out it was all worth it. Amen? So God is able and willing to speak to each one of us about what he would have us do as far do for the sake of the gospel. The old hymn says, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I want you to look up here this evening. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you know the power of the gospel. It's the power of the gospel that led you to salvation. And you owe that knowledge to somebody who doesn't know. You're a debtor. You're an ower to somebody who doesn't know. Three things Christ asked of us if we desire to be his disciple in Luke, 20, Luke 14. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Right now in our world, there are almost 7 billion people on the face of this planet. Half of them have never heard the gospel as a church we need to be raising up missionaries and sending them out we need to be praying that our young people go out and some of them would answer the call to go to foreign field but as a church we need to be reaching our community as a people each and every one of us we need to be reaching out and being a debtor to those right here where we live so you can never cure a thing that is a result of sin without repentance it will break out someplace even worse. That's how AIDS broke out. We're not going to cure homosexuality without repentance. We're not going to cure sexual perversion and, and some of the curses that are on our land without true repentance. Because the wages of sin is death. We cannot sin and get by with it. The answer for our problems are not found in the wisdom of men, but in the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. We must be free from shame, ready to preach, and commit to pay our debt. Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight. Lord, I pray, Lord, that this group, something would be ignited in us tonight in this group. Lord, it doesn't take a multitude. We don't need masses. We don't need millions of dollars. We just need, you just look for a group. Lord, Nehemiah was just one man who when he heard the news, one man heard the news and began to pray and began to repent and confess the sin of his nation and for his fathers. And you move mightily. Your favor, your grace moved through his life. And you made provision for him to go and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Father, the walls of our nation have been broken down. And we need Nehemiahs to seek your face, to pray, and to have your grace poured out upon their lives. Father, make us a Nehemiah who was broken for the condition of our nation, for the condition of the church as a whole. And that we will pray and we will seek you. We will hunger to be men and women of God. More than Christians, men and women of God. Those who know we have a debt who are ready to preach and are not ashamed of the gospel. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.